You're listening to the Victory Church Podcast. Here at Victory, we are called to equip a caring, committed community of worshipers to reach their world for Jesus. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Welcome. So glad that you are inviting us into your home or wherever you are watching this. It's so important that we continue to experience God together, even though we can't be together in person. We're together spiritually. We're together digitally. And today is a very special Sunday. This is Pentecost Sunday. Now, at Christmas time, we encourage people to experience anew the newborn king. At Pentecost, we want you to experience the newborn church, to feel like you're part of that church where the Holy Spirit was poured out to give birth to the church. And I believe you can have that kind of experience today. We want you to experience God in a very real, a very personal, a very powerful way. We read about the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. So turn with me to Acts 2. Beginning with verse 1, first four verses. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The next few verses describes that Jews from many countries, speaking many different languages, were there in Jerusalem at the time, and they heard this early church praising God in all these different languages. Then we pick up again in verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, this is speaking of the crowd around the church, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, all flesh traditionally translated. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God has a Pentecost experience for you today. Upon surrendering my life to Jesus in college, I knew I needed to find a church. But I had been raised Pentecostal and had gone away from the church. And a lot of my falling away from the church had to do with some serious questions about 
some Pentecostal practices such as speaking in tongues. So when I was looking for a church, I gave God two conditions. You probably shouldn't give God conditions, but I had two conditions for a church that I felt like I needed to find. And one was that I would be taught the Bible. And the second condition was, God, I don't want to have anything to do with that speaking in tongues stuff. Well, a few months later, somebody invited me to a service at a little Pentecostal church there in Danville, Kentucky. And I went and heard a message on the need for prayer to pull down strongholds in a region and a nation so that nation could experience revival. Little wonder that still here these many years later, I'm looking for a national revival. That gripped my spirit. And I was so stirred in my soul that as soon as I was dropped off back at my dormitory, I ran to my dorm room, knelt down next to the bed, and just began to pray fervently all that I knew how to pray as a young follower of Jesus. And within five minutes, I had exhausted my whole prayer vocabulary. But I felt something still bubbling up inside. And the next thing I knew, as I gave expression to whatever that was, I was speaking in a language that I had never learned before. And I felt like what God wanted to do was to, to lead me to pray in other tongues over that college campus so that we could experience revival. And I could tell you a lot about that night. A lot happened, but the Summary of it is, for four hours I walked around that campus, and because this was a summer and I was a counselor at a summer program for high school students, guess what we experienced in that summer program? Revival. It was a powerful move of God's Spirit. Now, when I experienced that infilling of the Holy Spirit, that baptism in the Spirit that gave evidence of speaking in tongues, I shared that with one of the Christian professors who was part of this summer program, and he said to me, Ed, I could tell that you were hungry for something more. Well, today we're starting a brand new sermon series called Open, Welcome, Holy Spirit. And we want to encourage people to be open to the Holy Spirit and everything that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our church, in our lives, in our world. And it's important to be open because, honestly, there are a lot of people who give God certain conditions. God, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with that. But we need to be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. We can't give God conditions to say, God, you can't do this and you can't do that. And I want to encourage you to go beyond just being open. I want to encourage you to get hungry for the things of God. Hungry for what God wants to do in you. Hungry for what God wants to do through you. Hungry for what God wants to do in our church. Hungry for what God wants to do in our nation. Let's be open. A lot of the church world is not open, but we want to be open and we want to be eager for what God has in store for each one of us. This move of the Spirit. The disciples in the early church, I'm convinced, were hungry. They were eager. Jesus had said that they would receive power, so they were eager. And the book of Acts tells us that in the first days of the church, they met together in prayer continuously. And so they were hungry. And I, I don't believe that you can hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
which we all should do, whether we consider ourselves charismatic, Pentecostal, evangelical, Catholic, it doesn't matter. I don't believe that you can hunger and thirst for righteousness as Jesus encourages us to do without hungering and thirsting for the one who makes us righteous. And of course, that's done through the blood of Jesus, but it's ministered to you through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He is the Holy Spirit, and we need him. I want to encourage you to expect an outpouring of the Spirit in your life based on the same expectations that the early church had. They had an expectation based, first of all, on the promises of God. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you can find this in your scriptures, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if you go back to Luke's earlier writing, the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 3, verse 16, this is John the Baptist speaking. It says, John answered them all, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. We need a fresh baptism of the Spirit and a fresh baptism of fire. Those verses go on to say that God is going to burn up the chaff. What is chaff? Chaff is what's left over after the good grains of wheat are sifted out. It's just waste that in Jesus' day was only good to be burned up. It had no other value. And God, I believe, wants to burn up some excess in our lives. He wants to burn up some waste, and he wants to leave good grain. He wants to leave what is good in our lives so that we can be more effective as sons and daughters of Christ than we have ever been. So God's doing something. So they had the promises, Acts 1, Luke 3, and not to mention those promises in the New Testament, but all the promises from the prophets, including the promise from Joel that Peter makes reference to in his sermon as we read just a minute ago. We need this outpouring, and God has promised it for all flesh, for all people, sons and daughters, men, women, servants, anybody. God wants to pour out his spirit. He's promised it, and he will do it. Let's expect God to be a covenant-keeping God. He wants to pour out his spirit on your life. And it's not just a one-time thing. We are to continuously be filled with the Spirit, Paul says in the letter to the Ephesians. So there is a promise to you. There's also this issue of empowerment. I believe the early church wanted to be empowered. They knew that they were to be witnesses to the whole world. At least they should have known it. Jesus said that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And you know what? I think they were very, very aware that they were inadequately equipped. In spite of the fact that they had been with Jesus all that time, they had witnessed Jesus' earthly ministry, they had scattered when he was crucified. And they still weren't ready, even after he ascended into heaven, 
but they knew that Jesus wanted to give them power to be his witnesses. And we might think, well, I don't need those gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit. I, I don't need those kinds of things. But don't you want to be a good witness for the Lord? Aren't you eager to witness for Christ? And most evangelicals understand that that is a basic mission or commission given to us by Jesus Christ. And if we're really eager to be his witnesses, we need to be eager for the power that makes us effective witnesses. We want the Holy Spirit. And God offers us through his Spirit everything we need to accomplish the tasks that he's given us to accomplish, including being witnesses to our friends and family and neighbors. We can only accomplish it by the same power that the early church relied upon to accomplish their mission, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you know if you're endued with power from on high? How do you know that you're clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, we should take it by faith, right? We should, because the Bible says that God will do that for us. But Acts chapter 2 leaves no doubt whatsoever that the first disciples were empowered by the Holy Spirit because God gave them some powerful manifestations that left no doubt. They didn't have to second-guess themselves. They didn't just have to kind of take it on faith. God left himself a powerful witness through their experience of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's why in Acts chapter 2, as we just read, there are many references to manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And Peter even gets up and explains that Joel prophesied that there will be all kinds of manifestations. And he named some things that didn't happen on the day of Pentecost, but that are still in God's agenda as he prepares the church for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the biggest act of preparation on our part is to speak God's word, to preach the gospel to all nations, and then Jesus is going to come back. But they had manifestations of the Spirit. And I believe that's important for us to expect as well, because in every major historical outpouring of the Holy Spirit, as you go back through centuries, there were powerful manifestations of the Spirit. You just think about it. You have an infinite God, the infinite Spirit of God, touching us finite people, and something's going to happen. There will be manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that God wants many of us to have such an experience of the Spirit that we're not left wondering, did I really get something? Did something really happen? Did God really touch my life in a special way? Yes, again, most seasons of our Christian life, I believe that we do just walk by faith. We live by faith and we accept the empowerment of the Holy Spirit by faith. You don't have to have something supernatural happen to you before you feel empowered to witness to a friend or family or loved one. You don't need to be waiting for something. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit. But I believe that God wants to do something and take us to such a new level of effectiveness and witness to our world and to our nation that as in historic revivals, we are going to be left with no doubt God's up to something and we're going to see some major manifestations. What do we see in Acts chapter 2? 
Well, you see and hear some things. The first thing that is mentioned is that there was a sound as a mighty rushing wind, a violent wind. There appeared what seemed to be tongues of fire that split apart and alighted upon every single person there. Everyone in the room spoke in other tongues. And of course, in this case, it's human tongues, but Paul also makes reference in 1 Corinthians about speaking in tongues of angels, so that's a possibility for us as well. There was a commotion in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost, so much commotion, in fact, that people who were observing said, these people have had too much wine. So they, they looked like they were drunk, and it was such uh, uh, an accusation, and it was such a prominent accusation in that experience that Peter gets up and some of his first words in addressing the crowd that had gathered there was that these are not drunk as you suppose. So there was something that looked a little bit uh, chaotic, if you want to call it that. And let me just say, a lot of times we say, well, God's a God of order, not a God of chaos. That's true. But Acts chapter 2 lets us know that it could be the case that God defines order a little bit differently than some of us evangelicals in this modern world. So we got to be open to how God defines order, right? Amen. He does. I'm assuming you're saying amen right now. In Acts chapter 2, as Peter is preaching. He makes reference, as I said before, to Joel, which lists all kinds of things, prophecy and visions and dreams and wonders and signs in the heavens and on the earth. Later on in the, in the book of Acts, you see the disciples praying, and the place where they were praying was shaken like an earthquake, but the timing was definitely supernatural. All through Acts, you see tongues and other manifestations of people being touched by and filled with the Holy Spirit. And then signs and wonders are all through Acts. That's what the Acts are, the Acts of the Apostles, or as some would say, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. So there were signs and wonders confirming the Word of God all through Acts, and I see nothing in Scripture that would cause us not to expect the same kind of confirmation of God's Word today, that God is doing signs and wonders and miracles. You might wonder, well, why do we need signs and wonders and miracles? Why do we need signs at all? Why would the church ever need signs? We just have the gospel, and that should be good enough. Well, the gospel is good enough. It is the power of God for salvation, but it is also true, and it's not contradictory, to see, to observe that God backs up that word, the gospel, with signs and wonders. And that's a biblical term, signs and wonders. Well, what's a sign and a wonder? First of all, a wonder is something that makes you stop and wonder. It could be a burning bush. It could be any of these things that uh, are listed here. What are signs? Signs are something that point to something else. And the signs in themselves are not the most important thing. The most important thing is what the sign points to. And these signs point to God. So it's not about the manifestations. We had a life group meeting a couple of weeks ago in which the icebreaker was to describe a road trip. 
my road trip experience was when Lisa and I were in seminary before we got married. We went with a group of students in a yellow school bus from Tulsa, Oklahoma to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And let me tell you, my long legs did not fit in that school bus seat. It was so uncomfortable. And you can imagine how excited I was when after about 12 hours, we saw the sign that said we were entering Florida. Ma, good news, right? No, no, we were barely over halfway to Fort Lauderdale. We still had another 11 or 12 hours in that little school bus. In other words, the sign was just telling us we were on the way. We were going the right direction. And signs will point you in the way toward God, true signs from the Holy Spirit. And so the sign is not all that we're concerned about. We're concerned about the one to whom the signs point. So we want to see signs and wonders. Why? Because it's not just for us. It's for the people that we're trying to reach with the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, are you really open to signs? I believe it's important because the more closed we are to what the Holy Spirit wants to do, the more closed we are to the Holy Spirit himself. And I think a lot of times in our cultural environment, we're closed off because we rely so much on our intellect. We, I guess, could be guilty of spiritual pride, or maybe I should say intellectual pride, intellectual pride, which, you know, kind of closes us down to the things of God that we can't always explain and that don't always fit neatly into our preconceived intellectual boxes. So we need to be open to the Holy Spirit. I mentioned that historic revivals have signs and wonders and manifestations. You can go back to the Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards. People fell, people shook, people were in trances sometimes for days. Crazy things. And Jonathan Edwards was no intellectual slouch. He is considered by many historians uh, as American, colonial Americans' greatest intellect. He eventually became the president of Princeton College. So he was no intellectual slouch, but they had signs and wonders in the Great Awakening under his leadership. We uh, are coming to you from where? The Quaker state. Why Quakers? Because they would wait for a move of the Spirit and begin to quake, begin to shake. The Great Awakening as led by John Wesley, he repeatedly mentions the power of God hitting people, people falling as though thunderstruck, a word that he uses quite often in his writings. The Welsh revival, the Hebrides revival, people shaking in trances, falling, falling prostrate, deep conviction in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. The Azusa Street revival of the early 1900s, of which we as a church and as a movement are a product. And then, you know, even detractors of Pentecostalism, they recognize, and I've done a lot of studies in, in the history of revival and read a lot of books by people who are not charismatic, not Pentecostal, but they acknowledge that in the history of revival, there is so much evidence of, of manifestations of power and of the Spirit that you cannot deny it being a work of the Spirit, and it can't all be attributed to a work of the devil to try to, you know, steer people astray. This is a part of what the Holy Spirit works, and the book of Acts is a good example of what 
we can see. We want to be open to God, open to the Holy Spirit, open to whatever he wants to do and expect God, you're going to do it and I want to experience it and I want all that you have for me. You know, I'm not going to say, Lord, I'm open to your spirit, but you can't do this and you can't do that. As soon as I say, God, I'm open, but you can't do this or that, guess what I've done? I've taken charge. I want to give the Holy Spirit charge. Likewise, some Pentecostals and Charismatics think, God, if you don't do this and you don't do that, then I don't believe you've really moved in our midst. I think we can't come to God with that kind of preconceived notion either because that puts us in charge. And that's when we start doing things like pushing people over, making people fall, making people get slain in the Spirit because that proves that God's at work in us. Well, we don't want to go for anything like that. But let me say this. That's not really our concern right now. We're not seeing people fall. We're not pushing people over. And in fact, one of those evangelical historians of revival who's not a charismatic, not a Pentecostal, he says that if, when you think about revival, the first thing you think about is keeping things in order and in control, you're not really hungry for revival. We need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit more than we need control and for things to fit neatly our order of things. And again, the most important things are not the manifestations themselves. When our church experienced revival in the 1990s, we thought those revival experiences in those meetings were the most important things. But really, the most important things that continue to impact our church is the fact that we became a church of small groups during those six months of revival meetings. We became a multi-ethnic church during those six months of revival meetings. And I believe those two things remain important manifestations of the revival. Let me just address the ethnicity thing. See, we're a spirit-empowered, spirit-created, multiracial, multi-ethnic community. This is God's work that makes us one of a relatively small minority of multi-ethnic churches in America. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And we need that work. Our world, our community needs the evidence of what God can do when he brings men and women of all races, all nationalities together because we have one heart, a heart for God, a heart for his spirit's work, and a heart for each other as we love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves, including those of other races. America needs that right now. Let me tell you, I've been heartbroken this week. I've been heart sick this week. I cannot stand it. It almost moves me to tears. I, I just, this killing of George Floyd this week with a white policeman's knee in his neck for what, eight minutes? I don't know. But it's a horrific, horrific scene. I, I, I just, can't stand that kind of racial injustice. I hate it. And we have a powerful voice against that kind of racism. We do, and we can't be silent. But can I also say this? Just as important, important as our words, our voice, and speaking out against racism is who we are. Just speaking words without living those words out would be nothing. We at Victory Church are living out what it means to love one another, to love one another across 
all those barriers that tend to divide our nation. That's who we are. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, I need a fresh work of the Holy Spirit. I want to see God release his power in that area of racial healing, but also physical healing, signs and wonders and miracles of all kinds. God wants to do something special because God's agenda is to reach our world with his love. The good news of the of Jesus Christ, of salvation through him. And let me tell you, I believe that now is a time to experience a fresh outpouring of the Spirit. Now, today, right now. See, you know, coronavirus has messed up a whole lot of stuff. But this season is not just about adjusting to a virus. This season is not just about adjusting to online ministry. No, this season is a season in which we are being shown that our illusions of stability have been shattered and that the only stable force upon which we can rely is the foundation of Jesus Christ. And we need to experience him more fully, more powerfully by his spirit and give testimony to that by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh outpouring church We need a fresh outpouring. You need a fresh outpouring today, right now. This past week, we were talking with staff about how difficult it is to convey a spiritual experience through a camera. You know, we think about laying on of hands and anointing with oil and all those kinds of biblical practices. And I thought, well, it's it's almost impossible. And then I remembered my own experience of being filled with the Spirit that I talked about at the beginning. I talked about going to that little Pentecostal church where I heard a message on the need to pray so that God could send a revival to a nation. Do you know that that message was given digitally? This little church, I don't remember anything about the service. I don't re- nobody prayed for me, nobody laid hands on me, but I heard a message delivered digitally by satellite and shown on a screen. And it was by myself in prayer in my dorm room, that God touched me so powerfully. It made a difference, an eternal difference in my life. And I believe that right now, right now, digitally, God's stirring something in you, a hunger, a desire for what God has promised. God's promise is presence. Christ in you, the hope of glory. How is Christ in you? It's by his spirit. And you can experience that in a way that is undeniable and that will propel you into mission like you have never been before. And some of you right now, you need it for yourself. You just need it to know that God loves you and that God will not leave you. He'll never neglect you in any way. And you also need it for those around you. Receive the power of the Holy Spirit today. I want to pray for you. If you've never received Jesus Christ, receive him right now. If you've received Jesus Christ, but you need a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit, receive that right now. I pray for you in Jesus' name that you experience the power of the resurrection, the power of your sins being forgiven, your sins being blotted out. And the power of the Holy Spirit who comes to indwell you, who comes to endue you with power from on high, that you might live the life, not just that you were created to live in the sense that you could be fulfilled, but the life that you were created to live in the sense that you were created to glorify God and to point many other people to the love of a good, 
Heavenly Father, receive right now. Just expect the Holy Spirit to touch you. Some of you, you might need to go outside right now and walk around by yourself or go to a room by yourself or get into a car and go for a drive and just expect God to minister to you. Some of you right there in your rooms with a group of people, with your family, God's going to touch you and fill you and empower you right now. I want to encourage you to get in touch with us. Let us know what's happening. Let us know about your decision for Christ. Let us know what God is doing through you and in you by the power of the Spirit. And we'll see you next time. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the Victory Church Podcast. If this message inspired you, Feel free to share it with your friends, family, and social media. And make sure to subscribe to hear future messages from Victory Church. If you'd like to support the mission of Victory, please visit getvictory.net slash give. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.